And now, ho, ho, ho. Here he is, the man to beat in this Friday's competition. He recently stopped by the television sports arena and had this to say. You bet I'm coming to town. You bet your boots I'm coming to town. So you better watch it. Because I'll see you when you're sleeping. I'll see you when you're awake. I'll see you when you're bad and good. And I'm going to break your face. It's going to be messy. You watch it. You ever been in a tag team match with a reindeer? So you stay out of my way. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. And you're on my list, pal. You and Mongo and Freddie Miller and Dasher and Dancer and Blitzen and all of you. So just watch out when you see the sleigh coming. Because I'm going to get all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, direct from the top of the world to your living room, it's St. Nick, the big man in red. December 24th, Friday evening, the Bearded Wonder takes on the entire world in a match guaranteed to last all night. Santa Claus is coming to town. Don't miss it. Be there. Because I'm coming to town. Be there. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 17.5, Submission 223 Beta. Mystery Diners, Part 2. Well, folks... Three years ago, on Christmas Eve, we gave you the It Was a Thing on TV listening audience a true Christmas present that you all enjoyed. That was a man by the name of Charles Styles, Mystery Diners. And we laughed, we cried, and we released all the drones as possible. But now it's three years later. And we found 15 episodes of the craziness of Mystery Diners. Now, I should note, we found five special episodes for this second go-around. We are going to do more go-arounds of Mystery Diners along the way. So don't worry, this is not going to be the last time we're going to be talking about Troll Styles Mystery Diners. We're going to keep this going for as long as possible. But for this Christmas 2022, we found some good ones for you. And Mike, you went through, I think, the early seasons of Mystery Diners. Yeah, I actually started off with the first episode. Oh, the first episode. Episode one from season one, yes. Wow, this is where it all began. This is the beginning. I wanted to see how it started, if it progressed at any point uh, through the show's life. I mean, we've seen later episodes, season 10, season 11, but we really didn't cover anything in the beginning. And I decided, you know what? We need to start where it all began. We need to see how this uh, originated. Well, hold on. I did cover that one season two episode where the owner of the restaurant looked like Sam Darnold. I did cover that one. Did he move his restaurant to Charlotte? Probably. Hey, uh, as we're recording this episode, they do have a chance to win the NFC South. Oh, they that's s- saying a lot. Well, 
Consider, yo, how hilarious would it be for Todd Bowles in his first season in Tampa Bay to lose the division to Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers? No, no, we shouldn't say Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers. We should preface it by saying Baker Mayfield was the starting quarterback at the start of the season, and he's now with the Rams. Yeah, but did you see that comeback he led with the Rams on Thursday oh, he, night? He, oh, it, it is a nice comeback. I, I'm not making fun of that. I'm just like, he totally bombed out in, in Carolina. Oh, and they're yeah. still in the thick of it. Yeah, which tells you how crappy the division is there this year. Yes. The NFC South is a crappy division. It's like the Panthers and the Falcons are still very much alive in the race because Somebody's got to win it. And that's not saying much because Carolina and the Falcons both suck. They don't have the talent the other teams have. But we're not here to talk about the NFC South in 2022. We're here to talk about the first episode of Mystery Diners. Yes. And this episode is called Raiding the Bar. You can probably guess what this is about just based on that title. So from the start uh, of this episode, uh, you could tell the format for Mystery Diners is uh, there. From the start, you could tell the formula for Mystery Diners is there. Ask the owner what's happening and who to keep an eye on. Surveil the premises. Get evidence. Take the guilty party or parties to the back. Have them claim they're innocent. Show them the video. They get fired or reprimanded. And then three or four months later, Business is in much better shape. It, it's always the same cycle here. And this first episode, and actually all the episodes I saw were no different. Every restaurant was checked in four months later. The first restaurant being surveilled by Charles Styles Mystery Diners is Maeve's Residuals. M-A-E-V-E. Kind of like if you remember on Arrested Development... Uh, the daughter's name was Maybe, M-A-E-B-E. No, it's M-A-E-B-Y. I thought it was B-E, but regardless. The suspect is named Rod. He's a bartender. What he's been charged with is overpouring, flirting with female customers, not ringing purchases into the register, and drinking on the job. The evidence that was found against him He was very flirtatious with females. He sold drinks valued at $122, but only put $2 into the register. $2? $2. $2. So the restaurant is is losing $120. Well, more about that in a second. Okay. So what he did was the old no-sale trick. Hit the no-sale button. The till pops open. He says he put the money in. Video says, no, you didn't. You put it into the tip jar. So that's why there's only $2 in the register. But that total went up by $10 because the female decoys gave him $20 at the end of the night for some extra drinks and told him to keep the change. 10 of that went to the register. So now residuals is only down $110. So much better. But yeah, he was just flirting with the ladies and overpouring them. Uh, And actually, 
sometimes pouring three to four times as much alcohol as should be in a drink. That's not good. So what ultimately happened to Rod? He got the boot. He was fired because he stole from the business, plus also drinking on the job. And yeah, just did not do a lot of good stuff. But that was episode one. You you could see the the format in place. You could see like just how every episode is built. But I will say Charles Styles did not call himself Charles Styles Mystery Diners on the first episode. He just called himself Charles Styles. Just Charles Styles. He he had not adopted the Mystery Diners moniker just yet. No. So that's episode one. Chico, where are you going to go next? Right now, I'm going to go to season two, episode seven, which was called Sleeping on the Job and features Mark Segrizzi, owner and head chef of Parma in Las Vegas. And he's been noticing a bit of discrepancies in both the till and in inventory. And now this guy. Now, if you've ever been to Parma in Las Vegas, I have not, but I want to go there. It's a high-end Italian deli with a lot of high-end Italian deli meats and cheeses. And he suspects two of his employees, Peter and Diane, who, by the way, have full access to the restaurant. They're responsible for the losses. So Charles Styles Mystery Diners sends two of his mystery diners, Shane and Adam. Shane is a busboy. Adam's a customer. And they find out that Peter... It's actually down on his luck. He's been using the restaurant to basically survive for the last six or seven months, you see. He's been, I don't know, sleeping there at night. He's been using supplies to, you know, help himself survive. Now, Diane, there's been no malfeasance on her part. She's been this gem. She's an asset. We should all be so lucky to have a lady like Diane working at our Italian delis. But then we have Peter. He is caught on camera. And I am not making this up. Pawning a $500 slab of prosciutto de farma to get his phone out of Hawk. Wait, $500 of prosciutto? of prosciutto de Parma. Okay, now that's got to weigh, I'm guessing, what? Probably about 30 or 40 pounds? He had to make sure that nobody was looking at him so he could take the meat, go to the strip mall, pawn the meat, get his phone back, because he's been using the restaurant's phone for personal calls, and Diane calls him out on it. All I can say is, and this is a... uh, Another, it was a thing on TV, dramatic reenactment. Hey, that's a $500 pursuit of the farmer. Hey, that's Black Label, the best there is. Hey, hey I want to go down there right now. Hey. hey. Wait, another question. What pawn shop would accept prosciutto as a payment of some sort? Or maybe not as a payment, but would it take in prosciutto in a loan. That makes no sense. None. Vegas. Who goes into a pawn shop saying, 
Oh, I feel like buying 35 pounds of prosciutto today. Somebody who is way too picky about their Italian hams. I'm not buying it. I swear to you, that's what happened. Well, you know, mystery diners would never lie to us. These are all real events. Yes, mystery diners would never lie to us. Charles Styles Mystery Diners is a trustworthy man. Yep. So Peter's brought back into the war room. He explains that his mother evicted him six months ago, and he was trying to survive. He was using the restaurant to survive. Mark's like, Hey, I'm gonna be a real mook here. I'm, I'm, I'm acting really crazy here. Hey, but I'm gonna give you a second chance. Hey, I wanna get you back on your feet because at the end of the day, you're my family. Hey. He wanted to give him a second chance so he was like St. Peter. I was thinking more along the lines of Jim Peck, but yes. I wonder what happened to the prosciutto. I wanna know what happened to the prosciutto, too. Mark probably went down to the shop and paid for it to get it back. I don't know. Anyway, in the end, Peter is very remorseful for being homeless and for using that as an excuse to do what he did. And Mark has helped him get back on his feet. He's finished expanding because in this episode, he's actually expanding his business. So, yeah. All is right with the world, I guess. Well, as and, long as he got back on his feet. Oh, and another thing is, it's like, Mark went down to grab Peter. He says, you know, take off your shirt, man. You don't deserve to wear my shirt. Because he has, you know, he has the uh, Parmadelli shirt. I was like, take off my shirt. You disrespect my shirt. You don't have the right to wear my shirt. Which, you know, if you're a chef of... Uh, high-quality meats and cheeses in Las Vegas. I totally get that. Now, wait a second. What was this place called? Parma in Las Vegas. Oh, Parma by Chef Mark? Yes. They're closed. Aww. I'm just doing a quick little search here. Parma, Pasta Vino, and Deli permanently closed. Oh... I blame the pandemic. Yeah, that was the thing. When we did this episode the first time, it was before the pandemic. We got to consider that some of these places, yeah, maybe their business went through the roof after Charles Stein's Mystery Diners came and helped them, but the COVID-19 pandemic probably did a number on some of these places. Well, I'm going to say it didn't, because taking a look at Google... The last time it got a review was six years ago. Oh. So it looks like this may have died before COVID. Thanks a lot, Charles Styles Mystery Diners. Hey, he shouldn't have taken the prosciutto from me. Hey. Okay. So here's my first episode from season 10, episode three, Young Blood. Joseph Harvey, the owner of Harvey Steakhouse in Huntington Beach, California, has been noticing a decline in older clientele and discrepancies in alcohol and receiving complaints about the younger customers getting rowdy. 
with mystery diner Destiny going undercover as a waitress. The team discovers that Joseph's recently promoted manager Gage is behind this. He, waitress Kelly, bartender Johnny, and hostess Jeanette have been hosting loud, unauthorized dance parties out on the patio. Even worse, Gage's friend attempts to erase the evidence of the party by hacking into the security camera system and replacing the current footage with the previous night's footage. So do you remember? It's like, remember the episode of The Simpsons where Homer tried to pretend that he was working on the job so Mr. Burns wouldn't notice? And he replaced it with a tape on a previous loop because he was inspired by the movie Speed. But the security tape is him, Carl, and Lenny dressed up in 70s clothes. I do remember that episode. <laughs> That's basically what this was. Charles' private investigator, Elliot, manages to turn the current footage back on. Charles has enlisted former Japino Sicilian kitchen busboy, Hal, who he previously busted in Daddy's Girl the year before. So, just to refresh your guy's memory, Hal was the guy who had that flask in that one episode where he was drinking on the job. Do you remember that? I do, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So, he's reformed, and now he's working for Charles as a rehabilitated mystery diner. So, he books the patio for a 75th birthday party. However, Gage denies Hal's party the patio, claiming it is double-booked and tries to make up for it by giving him three appetizers and desserts. He then comps Hal's entire party's meal when Hal complains about the dance party. Charles starts to regret hiring Hal when, oh no, he has a hard time hearing Charles' orders and then disobeys him not to touch another customer's drink. He is also seen joining the dance party. Uh-oh. 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 Well, that's what happens, Trolls, when you hire Hal. When one of the elderly customers suffers what appears to be a heart attack outside the restaurant, he is taken to the hospital. Joseph reaches his boiling point. During the confrontation, Gage tries to defend himself, claiming the restaurant needs younger customers. But Joseph orders him to hope the customer pulls through then fires him. In his exit interview, Gage states he does not care about his job anymore and is worried about the customer. The narrator reveals that Gage has apologized for his actions. Joseph has fired all of her employees involved with the party and hired loyal employees. The elderly customer in need of medical assistance had an anxiety attack and returned home the next day. And Charles has decided to give Hal another chance and hopes to work with him again in the future. Well, Greg? Yeah? I got some bad news. What? Harvey's Steakhouse has been closed apparently for at least five years. Oh. I'm actually sort of like digging this, trying to see if these places are still around. Residuals that I mentioned earlier is still around. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and actually just got a review within the last week or so. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, so at least one of these three is still surviving. Well, let's see if we're going to go two for four as we talk about the episode from season one, episode four, Big Girls Gone Wild. Big Girls Gone Wild. No, no, not girls. Big Earls 
going oh, on. Oh, Big Earl. Oh, Big Earl. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry if I disappointed you there. Uh, I oh, thought we were going to talk about Lizzo for a second there. Oh, jeez. What? I like Lizzo. I think she's very talented. So, Big Earl's, it's actually called Big Earl's Greasy Eats. And it actually used to be a gas station. It was a refurbished gas station turned into this, I'm not going to call it a diner, well, restaurant or Greasy Spoon. I mean, they, they call it Big Earl's Greasy Eats. And the person who's the suspect in this is Claire. She's a uh, server, a bartender. And what she's been charged with is theft equaling $4,000 a month, drinking with customers on the job, which is illegal in Arizona, and keeping the restaurant open after hours to party with friends. So what proof do they have that she's guilty? Well, she kept the restaurant open after the close for a party and then pocketed all the money from the drinks after hours. She was in the bathroom for 15 minutes, leaving the new hire, the mystery diner undercover uh, decoy, by herself on the first day of the job. She actually told the uh, decoy, the mystery diner who was helping her, she said at midnight, go home. I'm going to take care of this place. You know, it's your first day. You've worked a really hard day. So she sent this person home. And had her friends come in for this party where basically all the drinks were on the house. And that's right when the owner charged in and was like, no, this is not happening. A, we're closed. B, you're having this party and you're pocketing all the money. And also C, you know that you're supposed to be with at least one other bartender at this time of night for safety purposes. So the owner declared that dear Claire is fired. Oh, and I didn't mention the owner's name because you think this place, Big Earl's Greasy Eats is owned by a guy named Earl, Big Earl? Is it owned by? It's owned by a dainty middle-aged woman named Kim. What? Then who's Big Earl? That really is not answered. This is one of the unanswered questions that we need solved. Who is Big Earl? No idea. But yeah, Kim is there at like 1230 after this party starts. And she tells everybody, get out. She takes Claire to the back room or whatever you want to call it, where uh, Charles Stiles is there with all the monitors and says, you're gone. But I do want to know who Big Earl is now after all this. Nothing against Kim. She's obviously a very talented, beautiful, if I may say so myself, lady. And she must be successful because, believe it or not, Big Girls is still open in Cave Creek, Arizona. Not only is it still open, it has recently been voted the North Valley's best burger. And, wait, hey, maybe we can get an answer to this. You're wondering uh, where Big Earl's came from? The name? I want to know who this Big Earl person is. Well, they have a website, BigEarlsGreasyEats.com, and I'm on it right now. I I'm doing live research right now. I want to know who Big Earl is. 
Well, hold on. While you're doing live research, I got something to mention because while we're looking for locations on Mystery Diners, they still exist. This is CNN Breaking News. I am happy to report that Cheesy's is still open in <laughs> Chicago. And not only that, but on their website, they now have a mega Cheesy's challenge that says... Wait, wait, wait mega Cheesy's challenge? Yes, you can eat a 16-inch, 8-pound grilled cheese sandwich in 60 minutes. I'll pass. No, thanks. I'm good. Well, that's your loss. Well, you, you tell you what, you eat all that greasy grilled cheese goodness, and you tell us how it is. Well, I need an excuse to go to Chicago. You don't need an excuse to go to Chicago. It's Chicago. It's my kind of town. Well, I need an excuse to go there because I want to go see a Cubs or White Sox game there. Cubs game. Yeah, I know, but I want to see the White Sox too. You don't want to go to Guaranteed Rate Field. No, just telling you. You're always saying that because you're a Cleveland <laughs> fan. No, I've been to Chicago and I've driven past it. It's in a crappy part of town. Yeah, and they do suck because Gu- Guardians won the Central this year. Yeah, in the crappiest division in MLB. Big whoop. Hey, who that's, lasted that's longer like in the, the Panthers playoffs? Well, no, oh, no, don't give me that. Who lasted longer in the playoffs? No, no. Stay out of this. Oh, don't give me this crap. No, I'm going to. Who was in the playoffs longer? The Guardians or the Mets? Kiss my ass! All right, that's what I need. Rock the baby! Okay, yeah, that wasn't a smart move by Josh Naylor, but still, lasted longer than the Mets. Oh, by the way, you can totally tell this was recorded before Carlos Correa signed with the Mets. Hey, I sort of have an answer to our question about Big Earl's. So the gas station, because I told you it was uh, a remodeled gas station, it was built in 1935, and it was a functional standard oil gas station until the late 1980, and it is the only known surviving example of a 1930s Art Deco gas station in the greater Phoenix area. I'm guessing maybe Big Earl owned the gas station or started it. But I do not see anything about who Bigger Earl is. So it's a landmark in Phoenix. Yes. And actually, there's new ownership because I said that uh, a dainty middle-aged woman named Kim owned it. It's now owned by a millennial, and they call her a millennial on their webpage, named Brooke. Brooke! Brooke. So there's no big girl, at least there now. It's very petite Brooke. Brooke. No, not big Brooke. She's very petite. She's a gorgeous lady. I'm looking at the picture. She's a very gorgeous lady. Yeah. Looks like she's 32 years old. And she co-owns the restaurant with her husband, Colin. And she worked at Big Girls before she bought it. How about that? But still no answer as to who Big Earl is. Aw. All right. Well, I know that's a downer, Chico, but let's bring up the mood a little bit. If you're hey, who's a big fan of Shalene here? Oh, Shalene, she's the best. Yes, because she's back on duty as we go to season two, episode 
eight singles night. Will Glenn becomes concerned over a steady decline in female patrons and food and drink sales. He is getting a bunch of males in the uh, in the establishment. So he calls on Charles Styles Mystery Diners, who sends in Shaleen as a bartender. And Barbara and Andy are going undercover as customers. They send in Barbara first. The manager's name is Nikki, and it's all a staff of ladies that Nikki personally hired. And I don't know if they've been overtrained, undertrained, or whatever, or what have you, because they're not pushing specials. The only thing they're really pushing is uh, their girls. Oh, by the way, the name of the place in Las Vegas, Whiskey Dicks. Not only is uh, Nikki serving more than just drinks from the bar, she's seen giving away free food, free alcohol, reusing a promotion that will discontinued, ignoring women coming into the restaurant, which Barbara finds out firsthand, and also Andy finds out also firsthand, because as soon as Barbara comes in, not much happens to her. But when Andy comes in, all the ladies jump to serve Andy. Anyway, Nikki is encouraging the waitstaff to take care of the men, and then it gets kind of scuzzy. She's telling the waitresses, who have an obvious sort of apprehension about being treated as an object, this is Las Vegas. People don't want girls gone wild. They want girls gone wild. You're an entertainer. You need to entertain. The name of the sort of side hustle that Nikki is working on while she is being a manager of this place. Naughty Nikki's escort service at Whiskey Dicks. Not only is she managing the servers to serve, she's managing the servers to serve. I believe I have a clip from that episode. I've got it all queued up. It's one of the classic one-liners that's available on the T-Group Productions official YouTube. She's trying to fix him up with some waitress named Summer? Her name's not Summer, it's Brenda. She looks like a sunny day to me. <laughs> yeah. Just remember, her name is not Summer. It's Brenda. But hey, it's all a part of Naughty Dickie's escort service out of Whiskey Dicks. By the way, well, Glenn does not know anything about this. Well, if you've been keeping score at home, uh, there's been two restaurants that are still open. And both of them have been uh, done by me thus far. That trend continues because Whiskey Dicks, the two locations, there were two locations. They're both closed and it looks like they closed about five years ago. So, guys, you're both 0 for 3 total uh, in terms of restaurant longevity. Yeah, well, I didn't even tell you what happened to Nikki. Oh, well, well, okay, then tell us. Nikki and her cadre of servers were all fired. No! The hell you say? Yeah, and she's like, I was fired for bringing business into the bar. That's but what hey, they all say. that's what they all say, yeah. Yeah. 
But hey, Will hired new wait staff, new manager, and ladies have since returned. Except not anymore because five years ago with Ski Dicks, both locations closed. Okay. Well, let's see if I have any luck here. This is the only episode in this second part between episodes three and eight. And this is from season six, episode seven. Fraternal Disorder. Rick Engel, the owner of Uncle Billy's Brew and Q in Austin, Texas, has been noticing kegs of green room. One of his best privately brewed beers is missing and is hearing rumors about his beer showing up at fraternity and sorority parties at nearby universities. Rick's main suspects are his manager Trevor, waiter Kevin, and bartender Matt since all three of them are former frat brothers. Mystery diners Vanessa and Robin go undercover as a waitress and a customer and catch Kevin drinking on the job, stealing food orders by scamming Trevor and selling a keg of green room to his frat brothers with Matt's help. During the confrontation, Matt and Kevin tell Rick that the whole scam was Trevor's idea and Kevin shows them the text messages to prove it. Rick fires the trio after Trevor's phone rings when Rick orders Kevin to call it. Trevor's exit interview shows him angry at Matt and Kevin for their plan in getting him fired. The narrator doesn't reveal what happens to the trio afterwards, but he does mention that Rick has hired a new manager, waiter, and bartender with no college fraternity connections and has been distributing his beer to other local venues. Well, guys, I think we ought to make a game out of this. Does it still exist? So Uncle Billy's, and I'm going to assume this is Uncle Billy's Brewery and Smokehouse because I typed in Uncle Billy's Brew and Q and didn't get anything. But Uncle Billy's Brewery and Smokehouse in Austin, Texas, is it still open? No. No? Okay. I'm going to go with no on this. I'm guessing because it's a brewery and they distribute beer. It would have to be still open. Well, Greg, it's closed. The ah! last review on the last review on Google was over three years ago, so it doesn't appear to be a victim of COVID. So the frat brothers are probably saying to themselves, "Who's laughing now? Who's laughing now?" <laughs> so the streak continues. Both of my entries are still open. All four of yours are closed. I wonder if we can keep this up. And we're going to do that talking about episode seven from season one called Grumpy Tom. Hey, Grumpy Tom still owes me money. Grumpy Tom, yes. So as you could probably guess, the uh, suspect in this episode is named Tom. And with the nickname Grumpy, you might expect what he's uh, being charged with is being loud and disrespectful with staff in front of customers. Well, to start off, Tom didn't conform to a customer's request of no onions in a meatloaf. Basically saying, yes, I can take onions out of the meatloaf or make meatloaf without onions, but I'm not going to. Not good customer service there. There was an undercover server there and he started yelling at her telling her, the server, to get her head out of her ass. While in earshot of the undercover server, or microphone shot, if you will, 
Grumpy Tom called the owner, Sean, stupid. And as you might guess, Sean didn't take that too kindly. Tom also got confrontational with Sean's son, a manager named Gray, when Gray and Tom had a yelling match over the undercover server. Not a very good work environment here. The end result, however, Charles Stiles and Sean, the owner, actually said that Gray, the manager slash Sean's son, instigated the argument between Grumpy Tom and uh, Gray. So Gray, who's probably in his early to mid-20s at this point, needed to make better decisions as management. And actually, Tom and Gray, they settled their differences in front of Sean and in front of Charles Stiles, and they made a promise to both improve and shook on the deal. So nobody lost a job. Gray needed to improve as a manager, especially if he's going to take over for his dad one day. And everybody lived happily ever after. But did the Blue Moose live happily ever after? I have the answer. Oh, good. It closed in 2019. Oh. Sorry. The streak is over. So, yeah, we're now two for seven. So that's like about a 28% uh, batting average. I mean, that's good for batting or okay for batting, but not good for businesses if 72% a, of yeah. them are down. You know what? Out. Batters with a 286 average, pretty good. It's slightly better than Joey Gallo. <laughs> Only slightly. Only slightly. Well, yeah, like by about 110 points. Because uh, we know how much you love us crapping on Joey Gallo on this podcast. Oh, and I love it now because he just signed with the Twins and they lost Carlos Correa this past week. Go Twins. Well, let's revisit this back in September. Oh, you mean when the Twins are going to be in third place and the Guardians are on top? Absolutely. Would he have like 85 wins? Last year? The Guardians? They had you, like 93. You they won the shittiest division in baseball. They had like get, 93 get wins. Get the f*** out of that shit. hole. They had 93 wins. 93 wins against the shittiest competition ever. <laughs> and they lasted longer in the playoffs than the Mets, so kiss my ass. Yeah, because you, you, you beat a shitty Rays team that couldn't score a run, and you really lost that series four games to one. Okay, let's continue. And again, I'd like to point out that this episode was recorded before Carlos Correa side with the Mets. All right, so we're going to jump over to season nine now. By the way, full disclosure, I spent $20 on YouTube to buy all of season nine. I don't regret it one bit because... It's all been gold, and we will review some more episodes when we do part three of this. I bought five seasons of Mystery Titan. You shut up, you competitive jackal. I bought five of them. I bought Uh, none. (laughs) Well, that's your loss. Anyway, again, so far, all the episodes that I've seen of season nine are gold. But I only have three left, so let me get my third one here. Brian Alpert, this is called Bowling for Dollars. Brian Alpert, owner of Corbin Bowling Center in Tarzana, California, has been noticing discrepancies in food sales and hearing complaints about rowdy customers. Now, this is weird because this is a 
bowling center. This is a safe place for families. You go here on league nights, you get a little bit money, but you do it outside. You don't do it inside. Kendall goes undercover as a bartender, and the Mystery Diners discover that manager Michael has been filming rowdy customers led by the wild Walid, who, if you've ever seen pictures of him, looks like he has a chinchilla burying a hole in half of his head. Oh, I've seen this episode. I know exactly what he looks like. So you know who I'm talking about? Yes! Alright then, alright. Anyway, he assures that the videos are going to promote Corbin Bowl. So Waleed, jackass reject, uses inattentive head bartender Taylor's car for one video when he throws a bowling ball through one of the windows and this is one of those classic lessons in be careful what you put on the internet because the internet is not written in pencil. The internet is written in ink. And in the most severe cases, the internet is written in blood. They found the video by private investigator Elliot because by this time they have PIs working for Charles Styles Mystery Diners. Elliot finds the video. Yes, he finds the video, but... He says he found it on a... I don't think they say where the site is. I think... What did they say on the show? It was a video... Popular video website a or something? A popular video website. Okay. Let me just reveal what it was. It's, what, 2014, 2015 this episode? It's 2015, is? yes. It's Vine. Remember Vine, folks? I remember Vine. Six seconds at a time, baby. That was Jack Dorsey's other baby. Yeah, and then he killed it. Because Jack Dorsey is trash. Hey, we haven't forgotten, Jack. You're just as responsible for this mess as Elon. So, during the sting, Waleed is seen going behind the front desk and making vulgar jokes over the bowling center's PA system while Taylor gives Waleed and his friends food without ringing it up. On the lanes, Waleed's gang drives a family next to them away with their foul language, causing the father to demand a refund. Then the gang disrupts a league game. You don't disrupt a league game, man. Do you want to get hit? Oh, but this, this is... This want to get hit. <laughs> this is hilarious. So Waleed is, like, on, like, a dolly, and his friends, like, push him right into the... Bowling pins. He's like doing, he's like, he's human, doing human bowling. He's doing human, human bowling. So Michael threatens to call the police on them. They ignore him. Then they film Waleed performing that stunt that Greg said. Brian bans Waleed and his gang from the building. Michael and Taylor are brought to the war room, and both of them are fired. Taylor is basically going like, no, I was trying to bring business to the bowling alley. Why am I being fired for trying to bring business to the bowling alley? No, you weren't trying to bring business to the bowling alley. You were trying to help Waleed become an internet sensation. So Michael's taken full responsibility and has incurred reparations for his actions. That's what Michael did. 
Taylor has found employment elsewhere and is still trying to collect reparations from Waleed for her broken car window. Brian has hired a new manager. Sales are up and rowdy people are no longer disturbing the bowling center. I have an observation, guys. Mm-hmm. We're eight episodes into this, and I think three episodes at least thus far, they've made the excuse, but I'm trying to bring up business. I'm trying to drum up business. Maybe don't do that. Maybe your ideas are going to backfire. They're going to try and drum up business. Don't you think it would be a good idea to clear it with the owner first? Well, that, but also going back to uh, one of the earlier episodes, if you're going to basically run an escort service out of the restaurant, think about the legalities. Is being an escort necessarily legal? Maybe in Vegas to an extent, but probably not much elsewhere. Just saying. Yeah. Anyway, the Corbin Bowl in Tarzana, still open for business. Go tell them that the boys said, what up? Yeah, quite open. I'm taking a look at their website. It's still open, and actually, as of right now, they are hosting a private event for the rest of the night. So if you're going to be anywhere near Tarzana, you want to go bowling, don't go to the Corbin Bowl, because they have a private event going on till 2 a.m. tonight. Which, well, that's 5 a.m. on the East Coast. So, yeah, just don't go there for, like, the next 10 hours. And that's as of the time we're recording this, the 17th of December. Go tomorrow. Go get a bite to eat at the Carl's Jr. or the El Pollo Loco just down the street. Mm, El Pollo Loco! El Pollo Loco, I haven't had that in a long time. All right, rock your third episode, Greg. Okay. This is episode eight from season 10, Missing Links. Jeff Wilson, the general manager of the Emerald Hills Country Club in Hollywood, Florida, has been experiencing discrepancies in food and beer sales and receiving complaints about non-members sneaking in and playing golf for free, as well as complaints of his waitress, Mara, who has an attitude problem. Before the sting, Charles' private investigator Patrick reports that charges have been racked up on deactivated accounts of three deceased members, which explains the food discrepancies. Mystery diners Brianna and Jamie go undercover as a beverage court girl and a golfer and discover serious problems with bag boy Andrew, who is in the PGA Apprentice program, and beverage girl Natalie, who is the daughter of one of Jeff's closest friends. Andrew has been sneaking his friends into the country club, and Natalie is revealed to be part of a legacy scam where she sells the club's beer to the club's members and her own beer to non-members for cash only, pocketing the money. She was taught this by the person who trained her. As for Mara, not only has she seen bad-mouthing members behind their backs, but she is also responsible for hacking into the deceased members' accounts. She is seen getting herself and two other employees free meals by using the deactivated accounts of deceased members, which is a federal crime and punishable by imprisonment. After Andrew's friends get drunk, then drive a golf cart into a pond, leading to one of them getting injured, Charles calls this 
the most reckless behavior he has seen in over 20 years of running his company. Now think about that for a moment. For 20 years, Charles Styles Mystery Diners has seen a lot of things, but he's never seen anything as reckless as a golf cart going into a pond. That's straight out of Caddyshack, yeah. During the confrontation, Jeff fires Natalie, Andrew, and Mara. While leaving, Natalie begs Jeff not to tell her father about this, to which he says he'll think about it. In his exit interview, Andrew expresses remorse for his actions because they might have gotten him kicked out of the PGA Apprentice program. Jeff thanks Charles for his help, and the two go outside to play a game of golf. The narrator reveals that Natalie, Andrew, and Mara have found employment elsewhere. Jeff has updated the club's computers with a firewall and security software to keep the deceased members' deactivated accounts inaccessible. And I got good news, folks. The Emerald Hills Country Club in Hollywood, Florida is still open. Of course it is. It's a country club. Rich people ain't going to let one of their own clothes. That makes perfect sense. Uh, And taking a look, uh, I found a recent Google review. And somebody's got to go back to school. This is the review from a week ago. Most beautiful list golf course in the area. Very friendly staff. Most beautiful list. And I should say, beautiful list is spelled capital B, E-A-U-T-I-F-U-L-L-E-S-T. Most beautiful list. Most beautiful list. The most beautifulest thing in this world is just like that. It's just like that. Am I the only one who remembers that? Apparently so. But yeah, it's a country club. It's not closing. They got money. Yeah, they got that F money. I really wanted to see if the money is that close to the Emerald Hills Country Club. So I decided to see how far away Mar-a-Lago is. 50 miles. So there's money there. Between West Palm Beach and Hollywood, there's money. Oh, yeah. Broward County is full of money. And Mar-a-Lago is full of a swindler who's trying to sell trading cards, digital trading cards of himself. And by the time you hear this podcast, he may or may not have been (laughs) recommended to be indicted. And of course, we're talking about Mr. Black. 100 bucks for that. 100 bucks. And supposedly they're sold out. Supposedly. My my ass are sold out. I agree with you. Who in their right mind would spend that type of money? But then I looked on uh, Twitter this morning and I saw people saying, hey, I send my money. Where's my card? So you just swindle them. This is brilliant. People deserve that. They don't know how NFTs work. Uh, I would say they just don't know anything, but... Hey, your miles may vary on that. All right. My fourth episode. We're going to move up a little bit. We're going to go from season one to season two. I know Chico's done a few season two episodes. I've got two season two episodes that Chico didn't pick. My first one is season two, episode three, called Getting a Leg Up. 
the business here is called Pips on La Brea. And that's actually capital P-I-P-S for some reason. Pips on La Brea. So you can probably guess where this is at. It's on La Brea in Los Angeles somewhere? That's a pretty good guess. Yes. So the owner's name is Derek. And the person that uh, he's keeping an eye on is his host, his Mater D. I'll say host, not really Mater D per se, named Bob. What Bob had been charged with is being rude to customers, disrespectful to staff, but also faking a work injury to avoid termination. What Bob was going to do as he was terminated was file for workers' comp. So that threat sort of kept him on. Derek didn't get rid of him. Very early on, Bob calls the owner, Derek, annoying to the undercover server. And this may be the same Shailene, or this may be the Shailene that we've talked about previously, because she was very prevalent in the first two seasons. Bob admitted to the undercover server that he doesn't do much work at the business. Not really something you want to say. I don't do any work. He's got his cell phone out. He's playing games. He's got his leg kicked up on the counter uh, where the register is. I'm very unprofessional looking. And yeah, Derek uh, overheard all this, that he doesn't work and he's on his phone and all this stuff. Not a good look. Oh, and we should say, talking about this work injury, Bob is wearing a giant leg brace because apparently he injured it several months ago, coincidentally, on the day that Derek wanted to fire him. Coincidentally. There's no such thing as a coincidence, Mike. I'm just telling you that's just how it happened. Bob also uh, told a co-worker, almost like uh, the co-worker was a lackey, to get him a soda and didn't pay for it. You had some decoy customers, some mystery diners come into the restaurant and he didn't guide the customers to the table. He just said, you know, go sit over here. He, he didn't move. He stayed in his little area. And actually, one of the decoys said, hey, can we go sit on the patio? Nope, patio's closed. And Derek says, the patio's never closed. It's always open. And uh, Bob was yelling across the restaurant to these decoy customers, again, telling them where to sit. And it it was very unprofessional. But then after they took their seat in a very inconvenient place in the restaurant, the male decoy customer went over to Bob and said, hey, can we go sit on the patio even though it's closed? I'm going to give you a little tip. And guess what? Bob somehow accepted the tip and the patio was now open. And it got a little hairy because, yes, he accepted this tip after uh, the customer, the, the, the mystery diner said, I'll give you a tip if we can sit on the patio. Well, he didn't guide the mystery diners to the patio. Another server did. And really, she should have gotten the tip. And she even asked Bob, she said, hey, Bob, did you get a tip from these customers? Because you know, I took them over to the patio and you shouldn't get the tip. Oh, no, I never got a tip. The video says otherwise. 
But that's not even the worst of it. Bob, after sending these customers to the patio, he made openly racist comments about the male decoy, calling him Jackie Chan. Oh. The male decoy was obviously Asian descent. Needless to say, unnecessary. And that's not even the worst part of it. Well, yeah, Uh, racism is the worst part, but that's not like the last straw. Yes, Derek saw this and was like, I'm going to fire him. You can't call customers racist epithets, calling him Jackie Chan. No. There was yet another decoy. It was a young lady, very pretty. She said she had car trouble. She pulled her car around to the back where Bob was on a smoke break. And she said, can you help me? My car's got a bad tire. Can you swap out this bad tire with a spare tire? Oh, sure. No problem. So what happens is Bob takes off the leg brace, changes the tire. And then after changing the tire, she says, hey, do you want to go out tonight and go dancing? Oh, sure. Can I see some of your dance moves? And he starts dancing and who comes around the corner but a camera crew and Derek. And Derek takes him to the uh, off-site interrogation area. And needless to say, he is fired. Racist, faking an injury, doesn't do any sort of work, admits it. He's true scum of the earth. And Pips on La Brea is still open. And apparently the music they're playing right now is Dope AF. Yeah, it's a jazz club, so they should be Dope AF. All right, Chico, you got two more. What's your fourth one? All right, my fourth one is called Very Bad Bosses. It's from Season 9. And it features an owner by the name of Jolene and two of her servers, Josiah and Charlotte. And by her words, my name is Jolene, and I'm the co-owner of a popular restaurant out here in Los Angeles, California. We have amazing food, we have a talented chef, we have farm-to-table freshness, and we update our menu seasonally to keep it fun and exciting for our customers. But due to the sensitive nature of the problem I'm having, I would rather not disclose the name of my business. She co-owns the restaurant with her business partner and ex-husband, Tony, who has been abusing his position by making offensive comments about the waitstaff's physical appearance and stealing their tips. Now, Elliot, the uh, private investigator, reports that Tony is engaged in a secret relationship with his hostess, Yasmeen. Maybe because of that relationship, she's been promoted to assistant manager. So what Charles Styles Mystery Dieters suggests is using both Josiah and Charlotte as Mystery Dieters. This is the first time where actual employees of the restaurant were used as mystery diners. Amanda is going undercover as a customer. The team sees Tony ridiculing Charlotte for her appearance, eating in the kitchen, lighting a cigar 
inside the kitchen on a burner and then proceeding to smoke it and then pocketing the waitstaff's tips from large parties. But the kicker of it all, Tony is seen selling foie gras and having his head chef cook it. Now, at the time of this episode, foie gras was banned in California due to it being considered animal cruelty. So Amanda orders the foie gras. Now, because Amanda is a mystery diner, her palate is top-notch. She says, and now I'm quoting, this is definitely foie gras, and it's delicious. <laughs> Yasmin is threatening to fire Charlotte unless she rings up a large party's checks as banquet checks. Now, I don't know what a large party checks or a banquet checks the difference is, but I'm guessing it's substantial. And I'm guessing it's bad enough that somebody needed to rig it up so that Tony could collect the tips on it. During the confrontation, Jolene grabs Tony and Yasmin, takes them to the control room, and Tony goes absolutely balls to the wall, ape you-know-what. He mad. He big mad. You know what big mad is? This guy. Surprise! Smile, you son of a My name's Charles Stiles. I'm with a company called Mystery Diners. Jolene called my company because there had been a lot of complaints from customers and employees that you had been abusive. And as you can see, we've got cameras all throughout their entire restaurant, and we've been watching everything that's been going on all day long. And I understand this is upsetting for you, because if I was the owner of the restaurant, I'd be upset too. And I realize you guys are divorced, but you're still business partners. You know, I don't need to sit here and listen to the This is my restaurant, and I think you've crossed a lot of lines, both of you, all right? You know, Tony, I gotta tell you, I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I've seen a lot of horrific behavior from employees, but I have never seen the things that I've seen coming from an owner that I saw coming from you today. You're smoking inside the restaurant? That's illegal. You can't smoke in a restaurant in California. You know this. You're a businessman. And then on top of that, you're serving fagua? You know that's illegal in California. You can't serve that. Who gave you permission to put cameras into my restaurant? Well, you know, unfortunately, this was a big attempt for me to get you to reason with me so that we could save our restaurant. But after everything I've seen that you do, I know that now that is impossible. And you are forcing me to sell. You cannot sell this restaurant, all right? And I'm out of here. And Charles, stay the away from this place or you're going to regret it. I'm out of here. This is I'm selling the restaurant and you can't stop me. And you know what? Take your little manager with you. So she did. Good. She sold the restaurant, and she's looking to open a new restaurant. Unfortunately, I don't know where it is, but I'm sure she's doing fine. Yeah, we assume. Oh, by the way, since this episode, the ban on foie gras has been lifted in the state of California. And unfortunately... Yes, the restaurant has closed down, but Jolene has sold it and is looking to open up shop elsewhere. All right, Greg, 
Time for your next episode. Okay, this is from Season 11, Episode 9. Lobster looting. Oh, and this is something else. This is going to be a treat, guys. Lobster looting. Richard and Marilyn Schlossbach, sibling owners of Langosta Lounge in Asbury Park, New Jersey, are concerned about a discrepancy in their lobster supply. Mystery diners Megan and Natalie go undercover as a waitress and a customer and discover different things happening. Manager Diane is seen having her own order of lobsters at the bottom. Fortunately, she is paying them out of her own pocket and has the receipt to prove it. Even though efficient with her job, waitress Sam is seen promoting her own swimsuits to female customers into go bags while in cahoots with Eva, who is the manager of the lightly salted surf shop next door, which Marilyn owns part of the property, with their purchasing being cash only. The lobster discrepancy is then revealed. Waiter Mikey is revealed to be a lobster activist as he is seen lying to customers about the restaurant, having no lobsters left, bad-mouthing the consumption of lobsters, and stealing lobster traps from the marina, as confirmed by Charles' private investigator, Dennis. So, we have a lobster activist working in a lobster restaurant. I'm sorry, but these people did terrible vetting when they hired this guy. Mikey is also seen stealing lobsters from the lobster tank. During the confrontation, Mikey states that saving lobsters are more important to him than facing the consequences of doing so, but the owners fire him, Sam and Eva. Before Diane can prove she stole nothing, the owners see footage of Mikey fleeing to the beach in his latest attempt to preserve the lobster population, waiting Charles and Dennis to chase after him and successfully stop him. Okay, so I got the clip all queued up, so here we go. Here's the lobster chase. Okay, guys, take a look at this. Mikey's back on the beach with that backpack of lobsters. I think he's going to release him back into the ocean. Is this ever going to end? Guys, tell Dennis I need him to meet me out on the beach. <laughs> that's a dead... You know, the, you know that's a dead lobster, right? <laughs> Mike! Stop! <laughs> Dennis went Where over it too! I'm back here. Give me this. Drone cam! Over here. <laughs> That's a dead lobster, by the way. Marilyn states they are at a loss of words for what he saw, and Richard orders Mikey to leave the property, with Dennis escorting him away to possibly turn him over to the police. Richard and Marilyn thank Charles for his help and plan to cook him a lobster dinner. The narrator reveals that Mikey remains unremorseful for sabotaging the owner's business. Without their own location, Sam and Eva were unsuccessful at selling their own swimsuit line. The owners have let Diane with a warning, and she no longer orders lobsters for her own consumption while on duty. Lobster sales are back to normal. And by the way, folks, Langusta Lounge in Asbury Park, still open. In fact, on New Year's Eve, they are having a New Year's Eve around the world night. And ooh, they got, look at this dessert they got. A cocoa boat pop de creme espresso cookie palm seed. Four leeches cake, 
tropical fruit salsa and coconut curls, and a cast iron cheese, roasted halloumi cheese, beach plum, and cranberry compote toast points. Wow, four leches cake. That's like one better than a trace leches cake. That's all too fancy for me. A cocoa boat pot of creme. Wow. By the way, none of this is an advertisement. No. Not sponsored material. But if you do go down there, please release a lobster. Into my belly. Huh. Your mileage may vary on that. Well, guys, it's time for my last one, and I think we saved the best for last. Season 2, Episode 12, My Brother's Keeper. We're going to Capos now. Uh, I believe this was in the Los Angeles area. Uh, it seems like the first season or two, they did primarily Los Angeles, a little bit of Phoenix, Arizona, a little bit of Nevada, Las Vegas. And Capos it is owned by a gentleman named Nico. And the people that are being watched in this episode, there are two actually. The main one they watch is the manager, Dominic, who happens to be Nico's brother. And also they're keeping an eye on Larry because he's a server who's up for promotion. And Nico just wants evidence that Larry will be a good manager. Whatever position he's uh, up for. So the main charge has nothing to do with Larry because, like I said, he's up for promotion. They want to see if he's worth his salt. Dominic is accused of inappropriate behavior towards female staff and customers. Oh, my. This is a crazy episode. This Capos is supposed to be sort of a takeoff of like a speakeasy from the 20s and 30s. You guys know what I mean by that, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So as people enter, Dominic sort of does what the speakeasies did back in the day. What's the password? You know, what, what's the, the keyword to get in? And he, he sort of took that to another level because a couple of female customers come in and he tells them he has to frisk them before entry. We're not talking about frisking for weapons. We're talking about that type of frisking. Oh. He makes some suggestive comments to customers who are looking over the menu and say, hey, you know, what's your specialty or what's really good? He says, we have the best balls in town. Meatballs. Oh. But he said, but he says we have the best balls in town. Doesn't <laughs> even say the word meat. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 he didn't do anything like you know, pointing down there when he said it. Hey, we got the best balls in town. No, no. He just said, we have the best balls in town. Meatballs. He also makes suggestive comments about women in front of their boyfriends. Specifically, there was one set of customers, a husband and wife. He was taking them to their table and he was holding her hand the entire time and sort of trying to make a move on her. And actually, at one point, he asked the couple, and this is inappropriate on all levels, but he says, how long have you been married? And she says, seven years. And the husband's sort of taken aback. Why is this manager slash maitre d' slash server 
why does he care about how long we've been married? Uh, because your wife is pretty cute, to say the least. But yeah, Dominic, totally inappropriate. Larry threw Dominic under the bus, though, when the mystery diners asked about if Dominic is that way with other customers. So he just like spilled his guts. Oh, yeah, he's done that to other customers. He's done this. He's done that. So Larry really overstepped his bounds. But then later, Larry goes into an office and takes a book of vouchers that are meant for VIPs and gives the coupons and the drinks to those offended customers. Sort of as a make piece. And Nico doesn't necessarily agree with this. But he can see, you know, trying to make the customer happy because uh, of the inappropriateness that Dominic did. So uh, Larry then later cast out a customer's check, not the mystery diner's check, but another customer's check. He ended up pocketing the money and applied one of these vouchers to the meal, essentially stealing from the company. While all this is happening with Larry, Dominic is at the bar flirting with female customers. And actually, when Charles Stiles goes into the bar to get Larry and Dominic, Dominic is just openly flirting with these females. I don't think he was taking any drinks, but he was just chatting them up instead of doing his job. So while preparing for the dinner shift, so this goes back to something we talked about earlier. I believe this is Chico mentioning how the prosciutto was stolen. Let's kick it up a step. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. When preparing for the dinner shift, Larry goes to the back room. He takes pasta lemon juice, wine, and crates of sauce and stuff them all into a dirty laundry bag. And he's actually caught in the act, not by Charles, but I believe he's caught in the act by Nico going to his car, trying to put them into his uh, the trunk of his vehicle. And we talked about how much the prosciutto was. This stuff, the sauces, they made it sound like it was about four or $500 of sauces because actually what it was, was sort of like these delivery services. Like you hear about hungry root and you hear about these places that'll send you uh, crates of sauce or crates of food. That's what this was. It was like wine, pasta, crates of sauces and spices to make your own food. And he put these all in this dirty laundry bag. And that's where Nico lost it. Larry is gone. He's not up for a promotion anymore. He's on the street. But Dominic, he's just told to dial down his behavior. He remained because, hey, blood is thicker than water. You can't fire your brother unless it's a major offense. So Dominic's like, cool, I'll dial down my interaction with the ladies. And as it seems with every episode of Mystery Diners, four months later, everything is copacetic and happy, and they're making money out the wazoo. Now, I was going to have another episode for my final one, but after hearing that you did that one, I found another one that I've watched. Getting my $20 worth from Google here. And we revisit... Nico, this is from season nine. We revisit Nico, 
he wants Charles to help him with a personal problem involving his new home in Los Angeles and his private chef. His guests have had things stolen during private dinner parties. By the way, it should be noted that Nico's relationship with Dominic has improved since the first incident. Just saying. But his guests have had things stolen from them during private dinner parties and other events at his house. His main suspects, his maid Olivia and her boyfriend Richard, who is a personal chef and house manager. For the first time, we have Nico as a mystery diner. And it just so happens he is hosting this big-ass private event at his house. So this would be the perfect moment to catch somebody do something bad. Nico goes to his dinner party during the sting. His assistant, Mela, is watching the action from the control room. Prior to the sting, Patrick, the private investigator, reports that he saw Richard sell something at a pawn shop. So now we have mystery diners Rob and Kyle. Rob is a waiter, and Kyle is a party guest. And they find out that Olivia has been secretly stealing money from Nico's guests. Kyle had $100 in marked bills. Olivia is shown stealing $40. Meanwhile, Richard is seen urinating in the bushes and then touching a guest's shrimp cocktail without washing his hands. What? No. Yeah. What? Richard was peeing in the bushes and then about to serve a shrimp cocktail without washing his hands. Nasty. Good night, everybody. And he's also shown popping pills and spitting in Nico's food. So, Charles Stiles Mystery Diners tells Nico, who's wearing an earwig, do not eat your food. So, Nico brings Richard and Olivia back to the control room, where he reveals everything. The peeing, the pill-popping, the service, the stealing, and... Richard says that he was actually prescribed those pills following a car accident. And he just let it get the better of him. Seeing that that is no excuse for anything that anybody did, Nico fires both of them. Richard and Olivia, after the episode, have broken up, and Nico's transferred some of his employees at Capo's to his house. And Nico is happy to report that his guests are no longer being robbed during his parties. If you're a chef and you don't wash your hands before handling food, you need to reconsider your career choices. Yeah, that's just lazy and really negligent. And nasty. I think we said nasty, but you can't say it enough. That is nasty. Nasty. All right, Greg, 
Take us home. All right. The last episode is season 10, episode 12. Skating on thin ice. Joe and Shauna, the husband and wife owners of Epic Rollertainment in Marietta, California, have been noticing missing rental skates and discrepancies with food and alcohol. Charles' private investigator, Elliot, reports that he purchased a pair of skates online that look exactly like the owner's skates, leading them to suspect that their employees are stealing the skates and selling them online. Elliot and mystery diner Kendall go undercover as a customer in a food truck cashier and discover that the employees are not stealing the skates at all. However, manager Eric, food truck cashier Brittany, and skate rental cashiers Danny and Kaylin have been throwing unauthorized skating parties after Eric closes down the rink 45 minutes early and takes a $5 cover charge at the door for as long as his guests can stay and all the food and alcohol they want. During the party, Brittany is seen getting drunk while Eric leaves the bank deposit bag exposed in the office. And not only do two partygoers steal skates from the rental counter, which explains how the skates have been getting stolen and sold online, but they also sneak into the office to steal the money. After Shauna says she can't watch anymore, all three kick the partygoers out of the rink, and Joe confronts the thieves and orders them to give back what they stole, or he will call the police, which they do. He then rounds up Eric, Brittany, Danny, and Kalen to be confronted by Charles, during which the owners fire all four and ban them from the rink. The narrator reveals that Eric, Brittany, Danny, and Kalen have found new part-time employment. The owners have fired all other problem employees while giving the remaining ones bonuses for their loyalty. The two skate thieves were arrested for their theft, and all of Joe and Shauna's skates are accounted for, and there are no more late-night parties. But the reason why I bring up this episode is... To sneak into the back room, Charles releases this camera... And it's a camera that's... <laughs> I can't even describe it without a straight face. <laughs> it is like a roller cam. It's like a little RC car with a camera on it. <laughs> and it's on a curb. And it makes a big jump right onto the curb to roll right into the Freaking roller, Frank! Guys, look at this monitor over here. Those same guys that stole your skate, they're going over here into your office. Our bank deposit bag was left exposed, and there's thousands of dollars in there. And this is the worst time for these guys to be going back into your office, because now our camera's completely down. Well, fortunately, I do have a new piece of technology on board. It's a robo-roller cam. Okay. Elliot, I need you to get the MD roller cam into action. I need to find out what's going on in Joe and Shauna's office, and I need to get eyes on it now. Roller cam under the desk. Well, it looks like we got eyes in your office now. Look at these guys, they're counting up the money. They're gonna steal all your money. We gotta stop this. I can't do this anymore. I'm not gonna let them steal our money. 
Now, I've seen this episode, and it looked more like a hoverboard than an RC car. Yeah, it's like a mini hoverboard. I mean, this is 2015. This is when, like, hoverboards were, like, really big. Like, you all remember what hoverboards were. Everybody in 2015 had a hoverboard. Oh, yeah. And remember, they would all catch on fire, and then everyone was like, wait a minute, these are stupid. Like, seriously, have you seen anyone on the hoverboard since then? No. No, I have not. Exactly. Where did I just... No, hold on, hold on. I, I gotta rebut, because I just saw someplace that was selling hoverboards, and I remember back in the day, they were like $300, $400. They were like 50 bucks. whoever was selling it. I just saw within the last couple of days, and I don't know where this was, Somebody was selling hoverboards for like $50. I wish I knew where it was, but yeah, that is so 2015, 2016 in a nutshell right there. Hoverboards. It's too bad Mystery Diners didn't make it past 2016. We could have had an episode revolving around a fidget spinner. I can see it now. The fidget spinner cam. Release the fidget spinner cam. Oh, and by the way, Epic Rollertainment Still open. Well, those are the 15 shows that we have for this particular episode. Some of the places are open. Some of the places are closed. Some of the places closed before the four months later mark. And a bunch of hearts were broken. Because, you know, being caught will do that for you. But in the end, they all made... For very entertaining things on TV. Well, if you want to revisit the ones that we covered back in episode 17, you can go to our website. It was a thing on TV.com. And while you're there, check out all of our other episodes, all of our mini-sodes, all of our live streams. And not only are we on it was a thing on TV.com, we're available where all fine podcasts can be streamed. Remember, like and subscribe, rate and review, five stars only, because positive vibes only. Well, that does it for this special episode, and well, we'll have more Charles Styles in our lives still to come, because there's still some epic episodes that we've yet to cover, but you know what? I think we had some fun doing this again and revisiting Mystery Diners. Well, I think there's one more thing we need to add. Oh? Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Now go cook something. Wow! We're going to name you Larry. Larry the Lobster. I have never heard of a lobster activist, especially one that works in a lobster restaurant. R.I.P. Larry, you are delicious with drawn butter on the side. (laughs) Obviously, someone watches 1982 episodes of SNL. Me? No, I just have good taste. No, I'm referring to the kid with the lobster. I'm going to name you Larry. Because that was the name of the lobster that they were going to dunk. Larry the Lobster. Talk about some risky bisqueness. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes, no!